Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Monday, the 29th of July, 2019. Um, good morning, good morning, good morning. It's time to rise and shine. I know. It's it, it sometimes, right? The the words, they come over you in a way and you feel like you have to sing. Um, okay, so there are uh, what some might consider hand-wringing headlines globally today. Um, if you have not been apprised of what is happening in Syria uh, the mainstream media seems to have lost interest in what is not only an ongoing civil war, but an ongoing proxy war. Um, and lots of people continue to die. Um, and obviously we know that millions have been both internally displaced and are living as refugees in neighboring countries where um, they're really, I would say, hospitality is wearing thin for Syrian refugees, particularly in Lebanon. And so let's just be, you know, have that uh, in our in our consciousness today uh, in Nigeria, uh, which is one subject we're going to talk about with Brandon Showalter here in just a few minutes. But um, we've got it's just a rising tide of violence, not only against Christians, but um, but certainly against Christians in Venezuela. Uh, things consent, continue to be genuinely horrific and the police are shooting live fire um rubber bullets, but they're doing so without warning. And uh, the people who are being injured are being really seriously injured. Um, one young man over the weekend was blinded. Um, 52 rubber bullets hit him in the head, 13 of them in his eyes. Um, the crisis in Yemen continues to uh, just just be a humanitarian absolute disaster. We have talked about the Uyghurs in China with the Yazidis in Iraq. We have talked about what's going on in Puerto Rico, and now we have here in Gilroy, California, and Brooklyn, New York, mass shootings over the weekend. And on top of all of that, you're saying to yourself, I have got um, things going on in my own family, my own body, my own kids. Uh, I've got things going on with my neighbors and my coworkers, and um, we might be led to despair. We might. I mean, with a litany like that, you might say, good God. Well, that's exactly the way Jesus tells us to cry out. When we don't when we literally recognize, um, like, when I say how small we are, I don't mean that we're insignificant, but we are small. Um, and we do have a limited capacity to influence what's going on around the globe. And so how do we influence these situations and scenarios and what's happening in the lives of other people? Well, we pray, but how do we pray? I would encourage you to answer that question by turning to Jesus and asking him, that's exactly what the disciples did on, on, you know, at least a couple of different occasions. Both Luke and Matthew um, share Jesus's answer when that question was asked. So how do we pray? Well, we pray to our Father. We turn as children um, to the only one who is in a position to intervene in places and in ways and in lives and in circumstances where we never could. We pray to the Father. We cry out as children. It's a child's cry. And we, and we pray out 
not only to our Father who is in heaven, we do so through the Son who opens the way. You know, Jesus tears tears that uh, dividing curtain in two from top to bottom. What has long separated us from God does so no longer. Um, in Jesus Christ, you have full access to the Father. And so we pray to the Father through the Son, and we do so by the power of the Holy Spirit, who translates our prayers uh, on the way to the Father's ear in order that they might be received, and also prays for us when we are doing so in groans and sighs too deep for words. I don't know if you've ever prayed that way. I certainly have. So pray to the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit, and honor God's name. Hallowed be thy name. Honor God's reign. Thy kingdom come. Honor God's will. Thy will be done. Um, here and now, and eternally in heaven forevermore, as earth as it is in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. Um, and, and let me just encourage you today to pray with the end in mind. Pray with the end in mind, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. No, I know it's not in the original, uh, but it is in our hearts, and it is it is the way we pray. Because thine is the kingdom, and thine is the power, and thine is the glory forever and ever. The day is coming when every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I acknowledge with you that today is not yet that day. We live in what I call the mean time, M-E-A-N, mean, 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 sometimes mean, mean, mean. But it's a mean time that uh, is looking forward to total redemption, the fully, the, the, the full coming of the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is coming, and we live with great anticipation of his return. Okay, up in just a moment, Brandon Showalter from the Christian Post. He and I will survey some of the headline news of the day and and actually a really fun story, a really fun archaeological story about the oldest Christian letter outside of the Bible, which has been uncovered. All right, that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Right before I bring uh, Brandon Showalter on, I want to share with you that, that what um, what was just suggested that you read a book together with your spouse. I will say that for Jim and I, that is absolutely um, a core part of how we move forward together toward Christ. Right. So we don't just individually read books and then share with each other. We actually read a book together, and the the most impactful book we've ever read together is True Spirituality by Francis Schaeffer. So if you're listening to this and you're saying to yourself, well, what book should I read with my spouse out loud over the course of time and discuss? Grab a copy. It's, it's, it's old, but it's easy to find. Um, and uh, uh, so Francis Schaeffer's True Spirituality, if you're looking for a book to read together with your spouse to get real conversation going. All right, Brandon Showalter, hey, welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. How are you? I'm well, I'm well. Hey, you guys can find Brandon at ChristianPost.com. You can also find him on Twitter at Brandon M. Show. Okay, I want to I start with this really fun story. I mean fun. I don't know. You, you, would, you would use the word fun. I use the word fun. Positive story about this scrap of, uh, of am I supposed to say papyrus or papyrus? I don't know. You can, you can, you, you can um, tell me how I'm supposed to pronounce it. That's, uh, that's been uncovered. So I would I just like for you to tell us this story. It's really fun. Well, yes, it's a scrap of papyrus, and it was uh, it's uncovered. It's approximately 1,700 years old, and it's being called the oldest Christian letter outside the Bible. 
uh, and this Swiss, some Swiss researchers uh, have been studying it, and it's um, you know being housed at the University of Basel in Switzerland. And this little scrap of papyrus has been traced back to Theodelphia. This is a village in central Egypt. Um, it's written from Arianus to his brother Paulus, and uh, it's definitely Christian because of the content uh, content of the letter. And you know, the letter ends with "I pray you farewell in the Lord." And, it's just this really cool little thing they found. It. It's the most distinct Christian letter in uh, sort of the collection of ancient documents that this university has in its collection. Um, and it's, I think it's really cool. It is a positive story. I, to see, uh, you know, people writing letters to each other and talking about the Lord all that way back is, I think, really remarkable. And people know it's a Christian letter because um, there's an explicit reference to the Lord, but it's also... Um, it, the, the name Paulus was a rare name back then because whoever is the parents of this man would have named him after the Apostle Paul. Uh, so in the year 230, that was not a common name. And so we know that this was a Christian family. It's really, um, you know, it, it's just really extraordinary. And it's not as if this was like just discovered last week. Like this is something, this is a right. this is a piece of, piece of papyrus that has actually been in um, uh, the care of this particular Swiss school for the past hundred years, and it's part of a larger collection of ancient documents uh, that are now housed at the University of Basel. Um, it, it's just, uh, it's, it, it reminds me um, that we have been at this a long time as Christians in terms of living in the context of uh, of a culture, of a world, in communion with one another, sometimes separated by large distances, and seeking to communicate and encourage uh, one another in the faith. Like, that's just a part of what this reminds me of, Brandon. Yes, I love that. And it's, uh, and yet at the same time, it's also very, a very human letter as well. Uh, there's a part of this, the text that is requesting, you know, fish liver sauce, which I think that's pretty interesting. Um, <laughs> but it's, uh, it is, it is just amazing to see, um, these ancient words written back then, uh, praying that people fare well in the Lord and family talking to each other in this way. So let me encourage you today as you're listening, um, think of somebody to whom you could actually write a physical letter today, a letter of encouragement uh, across across miles, maybe even across the world. Consider writing a letter of encouragement to another Christian today. Brandon Showalter and I will be right back. So we're back. Brandon Showalter is here from the Christian Post. You can read what we are talking about at ChristianPost.com. Brandon, you've got a piece at Christian Post about North Korea being more afraid of Christians than they are of nuclear weapons. This according to a formerly imprisoned pastor. Tell us this story. Well, this was uh, an event on Capitol Hill where uh, Kenneth Bay, who's a Korean-American pastor who was imprisoned in North Korea for a few years, several years ago, from 2012 to 2014, spoke on a panel right after they, uh, the Ethics and Religious Liberty showed a short documentary called Humanity Denied Religious Freedom in North Korea. And so after the film was shown and in it, they explored what it's like to be a Christian in North Korea and just how uh, their faith has been so beyond repressed beyond my anybody's imagination it's just staggering the way in which just 
the faith has been virtually eliminated except for the very few people who live it and hold on to it underground. Uh, Kenneth Bay shared that um, he was told by the North Korean regime that uh, he was the most dangerous prisoner they had ever had. Um, and he's, he believes that they, they fear the Christian faith, uh, and Christians in particular, more than um, more than the nuclear weapons. And they told him, they said, you know, we're not afraid of nuclear weapons. We're afraid of someone like you bringing religion into our country and to use it against us. And then everybody will turn to God and this will become God's country and we will fail. Uh, mm. Kenneth, the whole world I mean, will just, go after him, right? I mean, like this, or, this sounds yes. like what the, this absolutely sounds like um, what, you know, those in leadership uh, at the time uh, thought of Jesus, right? The whole world exactly. will go after him. We have to get rid of this guy. And the same is right. true of Christians today living in the context of cultures where obviously there's no pluralism, there's no religious freedom. That's sort of the context of the conversation. Um, but it, it, the truth of the matter is people who know God not actually somehow know God's power. That's the stunning thing about this to me. Yes. Where a regime yes. that denies the reality of God would be so afraid of a God advocate like Kenneth Bay. One Christian. One Christian. Yes. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it's, it is it's actually kind of it, it, it actually kind of brings me um, a sense of strange joy. Well, you know, it's and it's it, I think that's a really great way to look at it. And, you know, Kenneth Bay said that when he would talk about, uh, you know, Jesus with North Koreans, with his prison guards and with others, um, that they'd never heard of him. He'd never met a single North Korean refugee and any escapee who knew about Jesus. But I mean, the faith. He said, you know, North Korea is not a country where Christians are being persecuted. I mean, obviously they are, but it's a country where Christianity has been eliminated as a total elimination taking place. And if you're Christians, they'll kill you. They'll kill your parents. And when he would talk to North Koreans, when Kenneth Bay would speak with them, they would ask if Jesus lives in Korea or China. That's the kind of questions he would get, he would get asked. Mm. Um, mm. And so you see this erasure of the faith, but it's, it's because of the deep fear um, that the regime has. But yes, I do think it can bring about joy in a certain way. And, you know, let's not forget North Korean dictators, oh, the dictator Kim Jong-un and all of his henchmen are no match for the King of Kings. God can do a wondrous thing and do the impossible and he can restore that peninsula. I certainly pray for that day. Absolutely. Um, we are absolutely. That is a that's a wonderful call for prayer today and praying specifically for Christians who are in North Korea, who actually have um, the opportunity to bear that witness. We're also going to pray for those who are broadcasting um, across the border uh, from South Korea into North Korea today. Let's be praying that, that the reach of radio would um, would actually be a way that God would choose to, to touch hearts and minds today uh, in North Korea and actually around the globe. Hey, let's turn our attention just just right there over the North Korean border to China. Um, we've we've certainly been reading about ongoing you know protests in Hong Kong and um, and and other such things. We've talked about the Uyghurs, but um, you've got a story posted at ChristianPost.com about a prison sentence related to a U.S. pastor who built schools there. Tell us about that. Yes. Well, this is, um, you know, China has been in the midst of a crackdown and, you know, Christians have faced increasing. It's never been a great place for Christians, but in recent years, it's been particularly bad. Um, it's Pastor John Cal, who, you know, along with a Christian teacher, allegedly crossed into sort of the China-Myanmar border last March, and they're filing an appeal after 
they say they've been wrongfully convicted of organize, organizing illegal border crossings in 2018. Um, and so there's been a, according to China Aid, it's just a big humanitarian group over there, I, this, this court was surrounded by a heavy police presence and uh, when they, they up, decided to uphold the sentence um, after sort of the persecution watch drug group, uh, Christian Concern uh, was responding to this uh, arrest. Um, it's it's a tough time in China, and it's a tough time for Christians, no matter what they're doing, whether they're trying to do aid in Myanmar or continue to minister in house churches or even state churches. I mean, they've got um, nefarious forces at work trying to monitor their activities. Um, Beijing's cracking down, and we've got to pray for our brothers and sisters in China as well. Absolutely. So it's so interesting that this is happening, you know, at a border and that the allegations are that they're organizing um, border crossings, right? Right. Like, so when we when we think about the free exchange of ideas, when we think about religious freedom in the United States of America, we don't actually think about trying to keep people out in order to keep ideas out. But that's really what's going on here. China and North yes. Korea, good examples of places that try to keep people out because they're trying to keep ideas out. It's It's one of the reasons that, you know, China wants a special deal with Google so that, you know, People can't have access to all of the information because ideas, they believe that the ideas um, are inherently dangerous. And yes. so I think that when when we as Christians begin to consider, you know, why these repressive regimes and governments, particularly those that are expressly, uh, not only non-Christian, they're, uh, they're atheistic. And so when we right. look at, at specifically atheistic governments, you know, they're actually afraid of ideas, they're afraid mm-hmm. that the idea yes. of Jesus would cross the border. That's pretty stunning. It's the gospel is a threat to them, essentially, because of its claims and its implications. They are that afraid, uh, and it, it just—I think—it's a great window into uh, really the reality of spiritual warfare. I mean, because when people encounter the gospel, it, it gives them hope and it gives them life, and they are doubtless knowledgeable of the social movements in the past how perhaps in Eastern Europe, how communism was dethroned because of Christian witness and the, the inspiration that the gospel had in the hearts of the people. These people know what's, what really lies ahead if they allow the gospel in. But yes, uh, it's, a, it's a remarkable thing you've just observed, these, the power of ideas to change uh, people's lives in a culture. And when applied to every sphere of life, dictatorial regimes can't last. So I want to um, I want to highlight for folks uh, a, a couple of other things that you guys have posted at ChristianPost.com. The piece on Nigeria um, we were reading today, you know, headline news related to a massacre there over the weekend, leaving 65 dead as they returned to their village from a family funeral. But you guys have a piece also posted um, about six kidnapped Christian aid workers, um, and the the video is just um, is heartbreaking. Uh, but we right. we recognize we recognize that around the world there are Christians serving in places um, that are very very dangerous and hostile not only to the gospel but to those who represent uh, represent Christ. I also wanted to highlight something that I saw at Christian Post this morning, um, and it's by your colleague Michael Gorbowski, and it's most Americans do not consult clergy when making major decisions. Um, I just think that the, you guys have some great stuff posted there, and I just wanted to highlight those two headlines. Um, Brandon, as always, thank you so much for being with us, and thank you for what you're doing at ChristianPost.com. Thank you, Carmen. So good to be with you always. It's great. It's great to have you. All right, friends, I've got to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back. 
We're glad you're tuned in to Faith Radio. If you're a new listener, we encourage you to go to MyFaithRadio.com and click on the link that says Get Your Welcome Packet. When you fill in your contact information there, we'll send you a free Faith Radio Welcome Packet with program descriptions, show host biographies, and information on how you can stay connected to current events and promotions. Ask for your free Faith Radio Welcome Packet today at MyFaithRadio.com. And welcome to Faith Radio. Finding a new way is always important. Um, why did I find your clothes in the freezer? Just trying to stay cool, Mom. You can find refreshment for your soul when you listen to Faith Radio and are engulfed with the hope, love, and joy of Christ. And we're always looking for new and exciting ways to share it and help you do the same. Same message, changing methods. Cool. Connecting Faith to Life, Faith Radio. Okay, so Nat Becker is running the board. Um, our colleague Paul Perot got married yesterday, so Nat is is here running the board this week. Hey, welcome. Welcome, man. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. So you're actually a letter writer. You told me uh, at just a, a few minutes ago that you have had a year-long letter writing um, relationship. Well, I don't know if the, the whole relationship is letter writing. It's certainly not. Um, but that you're also a fountain pen collector. So I want you to give a shout-out for letter writing. Well, there is nothing that is better than walking to your mailbox and getting a handwritten letter. Like an email, a text, nothing counts. I mean, FaceTime's lovely, don't get me wrong, but a handwritten letter, it just conveys so much more and is so much more delight. So now I'll speak to my husband here for just a second, Nat, because um, he, he, would be, um, he would be a supportive fan of this, but he might use a pencil. Oh, see, a pencil, hey, here's my <laughs> thing. A pencil allows you to erase, right? Like a pen, there's a permanence. Your mistake is captured there, and it just it, it feels more raw and more conversational to me. So I, I like the ink, but that's me. All right, Jim, there's your, there's your news today from Nat. Dude, get a fountain pen. There you go. All right, so, <laughs> um, so next up we're going to have Adam Carrington here from Hillsdale College. He and I are going to... Um, we're going to talk about some of the protests around the globe. I, I don't know about you if um, if you're aware that in Russia and Puerto Rico and Hong Kong, um, Hermitage, Tennessee, Catholic nuns in D.C., I mean, all over the place. We got people protesting, lots of protests. So how do Christians understand when and how to engage in civil disobedience? That's the question I'm going to ask to Adam Carrington up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Connecting your faith to your everyday life. There's nothing I don't appreciate about it. Um, I started listening to the faith radio almost exclusively a few years ago because I just love the teaching. Just the truth of God's Word. Everything is just so so sweet to listen to. The teachings it just really motivates you and keeps you coming back for more. We're growing together. On Faith Radio. is back from Hillsdale College. You can find him at hillsdale.edu. You can also find him on Twitter, Carrington AM. Welcome back. Great to be back, Carmen. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm learning a lot about Nat during our little uh, on-air breaks. Um, he's not a fan of direct deposit, so I don't know. You know, I'm just now I'm just sharing con- off-air conversation on-air. 
well, probably not appropriate. Now I get money in the mail too. It's it's just as good as well, not quite as good as letters. Clearly, well, he likes to get mail, so I just think that we're just going to start inviting people on air to just send that mail. If you send me mail, I will read it, and I probably will write back. <laughs> my my uh, first ever job, they gave me cash in an envelope at the end. It was at a grocery store, a mom and pop grocery store. That was that was bad for teenage me because not nearly enough of it made it to the bank the way d- direct deposits seemed to help. So, <laughs> well, and also with the whole taxes thing, right? Taking out taxes, like right, it's just easier when someone else is doing it, and I don't ever see it. Like it's just easier for me. I'm a big yeah. fan of withholding. I don't know. Anyway, all right, this is probably another subject for another day. So, uh, Dr. Carrington, there are lots of protests going on around the globe. I mean, lots and lots and lots. We've got, uh, we got protests going on in Russia. We've got active protests um, in Hong Kong. Um, we, we've, we always have protests in D.C. Like, that's not unusual. It's just whatever the theme of the day or the theme of the week is. But we've seen recent protests in very local communities where folks are, you know, sort of gathering together to make human chains against ICE agents who are coming to um, arrest people on deportation orders. We've got uh, we have just seen a very I guess the word is successful protest movement in Puerto Rico to have the um, to have the governor resign. So I just wanted to talk in general today about protest and about sort of how do Christians how do we discern when and then certainly how to engage in protests or civil disobedience? I think uh, that question is important as part of a bigger context, which for, for, for Christians in particular is that I think we see Christianity losing a bit of it, uh, more than a bit of its privileged place in the West. And it's had that place for a very, very, very long time. And so as you see more systematic uh, a, a criticism of the church and maybe even taking away certain things that it's assumed about its place in society, I, I think we're going to have to ask these kind of questions even more. It's going to be a bigger question of what does the church do when it's not uh, being protected the way that it, it, it's used to. And I think um, one, one, one way to think about these protests is is to go back and look at the history of the church and and at the Bible, and and to say that uh, you know we do see instances where uh, different kinds of protests are allowed. Uh, well, one we can see petitioning the government. That many times when you know in Puerto Rico, for example, one thing they were trying to do is petition the government to uh, 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 to make a change, to have the governor resign. And you see Paul appealing to Caesar and Acts. You see our government protecting, petitioning the government as part of our free speech. I think that's okay. Um, I think we also have to know that there are times when we'll have to disobey the government, um, especially if they demand that we personally do something that God says you should not do. Um, and and I think that you see that, say, in Acts 4 with the apostles preaching the gospel. Um, but underneath all of these protests and, and, and other things, we're going to have to also have a clear view, and we've talked about this before, of what is just. And that when we do say that this is something that we can't do or that we must object to, we have to have a clear view that it's something that is is a gross violation of justice and that we need to push back. And I think that's the kind of perspective, at least broadly, that I think uh, many of us need to be taking to, to, to these protests across the world and even in our local communities. 
And so, um, Adam, when we when we see in particular, you know, Christians engaging in 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 protests, because in Puerto Rico, one of the things that was highlighted was, you know, there's there's sort of uh, Christians in a second wave. I mean, I don't know how to describe that like visually, but there are the there are the protesters who we would sort of recognize it was a little Mardi Gras-ish. And then behind them, there was this other layer of people on their knees with their faces to the ground, really ardently praying or, or, or hands lifted. But they were clearly in an attitude of prayer. And that was a, a very different kind of protest. The same, we're seeing similar things in Hong Kong where, you know, these people are like singing hallelujah. They are singing these refrains of it's not really the hallelujah chorus, but it's that's the way I would describe it in terms of what sort of the feel of what's going on. There's there's definitely Christians engaged in these places where there's wide open protest that's culture wide. Um, but Christians are doing it differently than others are doing it. Right. And I think part of this is you said, uh, you know, civil disobedience is very different from uncivil disobedience, that we, it's a rejection of anything that looks like revolution or violence. Um, and and what it is doing is uh, it, it's rec- sometimes these protesters can act like um, government should not be God, but the people should be God. <laughs> And I think that when you see protesters praying, when you see them calling uh, on 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 God for uh, uh, protection and for change, it's recognizing something that we see throughout uh, Christian history, which is to say that one form of protest is to say Caesar is not God, Jesus is God, and that that has ramifications for how government runs itself or how society conducts itself. But that I think is something that is much a much better recognition and something that uh, Christian protests can add to these things that sometimes can get lost if they're not participating. Um, so let's do uh, let's do a, one that I think we can dispense with in a couple of minutes, because after the break, I really want to uh, get into a, a deeper conversation about what we learned from the Mueller report, um, the the hearing, and then the resignation or replacement of Dan Coats as national intelligence director, because I think that they are related to um, foreign meddling in U.S. elections. And I just I want to talk with you about that, but I want to do so at length. So let's do this because I think you can you can do this one pretty quickly. What do you expect in this week's Democrat debates? A lot of a food fight, <laughs> which uh, <laughs> which. There was a preview of that, but I think what a lot of people found, a lot of the candidates took from the first debates is that there were not enough clear distinctions being made between them. And I think uh, especially this is going to be the test, I think, for Joe Biden, that he really came in and sort of gave a coasting performance. I'm in the lead. And can I uh, sort of ride out the next year of primaries? And he has given indication that he's going to be fighting. And that's going to be, I think, uh, a very important for his campaign. And I think uh, Elizabeth Warren being part of that debate uh, is going to be very interesting because she's been rising in the polls as well. So I'd say look for uh, some of the top tier candidates to really go after each other in a way they did not before. A lot of the fire was pointed at President Trump and Republicans. That'll still be there. But look for candidates really to start taking the gloves off with each other, which will start to be very interesting how the Democratic primary reacts to it. I think this is where we really see the rubber meets the road here. Well, and it'll be interesting to see, I think, also how those who are not top tier candidates, whose names are not well known across the country, um, how they sort of fight with each other in order to get some stage time, like or in order to get some coverage. I I absolutely think that's going to happen. 
Well, and I think that actually what they'll try to do is pick fights with the big candidates, that a lot of people see how effective the Kamala Harris going after Joe Biden was, and she's not a second-tier candidate right now. But I think some of the lower ones see, ah, I can get a viral clip uh, if I can really take on one of these big, you know, big, well-known candidates, and that be the clip that everybody's watching on the news network. So that'll be interesting. And also, you know, we'll just see uh, uh, there's been some polling coming out showing that more moderate Democrat positions might actually be more popular with voters, uh, but that's not very popular with the Democratic base. And so to what degree is any candidate going to try to appeal to many of those Democrat voters who aren't with the more, I'd say, virulent left, or will they keep playing to that base the way that they did in the first debate? That's going to be another another interesting line to see how it goes. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College and I are going to continue our conversation after the break. We're going to turn our attention to foreign meddling in U.S. elections and why we should care. Uh, and so we're going to we're going to seek to take a Christian perspective on this. We're not going to have a red v. blue or blue v. red argument. We are going to have a conversation about why Christians should actually care uh, about the sanctity of our democracy here in the United States and why the meddling of foreign governments should concern us. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. A lot of people live a life filled with if-onlys. They would be happy if only they had something more. And if I'm being honest, I can be that person too. Hi, this is Callie Breeze with Thrivent, helping you be wise and thrive. I am slightly embarrassed to admit the number of times I utter, if only. If you were a fly on the wall at our house, you'd hear me lament to my husband, if only we had a bigger house. Maybe for you, the if only is a promotion at work or a bigger paycheck or a new car. Maybe it's something simple like a new pair of shoes. Wanting more isn't necessarily bad. You might actually have a need for more. But always wanting more than you need can distract you from God's purpose for your life. So don't live an if-only life. Live a life where you know you're enough. Live a life of meeting that goes beyond material things. You'll find your life is filled with contentment, confidence, and generosity. I'm back with Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. You can follow him on Twitter at CarringtonAM. You can also find him at Hillsdale.edu. Um, Adam, let's talk about what we learned from the election security report. And let's talk about, I mean, we, are, we've, we now know uh, as of last night that Dan Coates, who's the director of national intelligence, is being replaced. We learned during the Mueller testimony that, um, you know, from the perspective of that team of people, there was certainly Russian meddling. Um, the Senate Intelligence Committee has confirmed that. It, it, so I think that the in terms of conversations that I have with people, it seems as if we are being sold two scenarios. One is, yes, there is certainly meddling in our elections um, and we need to do something about it. And the other would be a resistance to that idea because that suggests that maybe the current president wasn't duly elected in the last in the last round. Um, I don't think the first group is saying that. I think they're saying we have a problem. There was meddling. It did not result in the changing of any votes. The president is is rightly you know the president, um, and yet we've we've got a real problem. And so why, as Christians, should we care if there's foreign meddling in U.S. elections? Right, and and basically we dodged a bullet, is what they're saying. Uh, and 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 the bullet we dodged, at least from the Christian perspective, is, 
you know, we've got to remember um, that the, the Bible is replete with saying that government is a good for human beings when done rightly, that it protects the the powerless it it upholds justice uh, you know we're to pray for our leaders to so we can live quiet and peaceful lives and if you think about our context we live in a very divided country we've talked about that before we already have a country where the sides don't trust each other uh, we have a, a country that is very much staked in legitimacy wise in the consent of the governed as realized in fair and free elections. Now, imagine if uh, in a future election uh, we don't get as lucky uh, or we're not as well protected, and in a couple swing states or a couple swing counties, um, people are able to get into the voter rolls and delete voter registration or maybe even delete vote totals in certain precincts. Um, and therefore, we don't have an idea of who really won an election, and we don't really have an, a clear idea of who did what to change the possible results. Uh, imagine in our deeply divided country what that could look like. That could be uh, – uh, there, there could be a, a mini you know, civil war over that, and I don't mean to over, overstate it too much, but there could be widespread violence. There could be widespread uh, – you know, we already talk about the other side being illegitimate, whichever side you're on. A lot of that's still just talk. I think it would take it to another level. And so I think those kind of things are very worrisome, and even um, – I don't know if this has ever come up on the show, but this idea of uh, deep fakes that are coming where people are able to manipulate videos so that they look exactly like uh, 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 something that didn't happen and that, that people might start to use those in elections to try to uh, convince certain people that, that wrong things have been said and done. Uh, I, I think those are all things that uh, could destabilize our democracy and make it so we can't live quiet and peaceful lives with each other. So, Adam, let me just go ahead and, and get this out there. If ever there's a video that surfaces of me dancing, it's definitely fake. <laughs> uh, my, myself, too, I, and I, I'm not even Baptist. so No. So, yeah, I don't dance. Just let me just go ahead and get that out there publicly. I didn't even dance at my own wedding. Like, I'm, I just, I don't want to, I just don't think that's just something, well, maybe people dance, could dance in private, but I don't really see many people, if any, dancing in public that really should be seen by other people, so... There you go. Yeah. Uh, that's that would be my um, uh, deep. I think deep fakes is a huge concern, um, mm -hmm. and and I think that it's really really easy to manipulate. It's certainly easy. I mean, we know this, right? It's really easy to cut five, ten, fifteen seconds out of an exchange that went on for ten or fifteen minutes and make somebody look really really bad because what you have taken is chopped completely out of context. That's one. Um, you know, that's one thing that I think political people have become very adept at and the American public recognizes that's not that shouldn't work that way. We want to know the context. The problem with deep fakes is it's the imposition of a person's image or their um, likeness in in a context that they were never in saying and doing things they never said and never did. Yeah, I I actually showed my father this. I was uh, he was uh, my uh, in my parents were visiting recently. There's this video out there of uh, Jim Carrey's uh, the actor's face imposed on Jack Nicholson's in the horror film The Shining, mm -hmm. and if you go see it, 
it, it looks exactly like Jim Carrey was reprising the role and saying everything Jack Nicholson was saying, his, that there was no difference. And in fact, some people jokingly said, oh, this is Jim Carrey reprising his role, and then said, no, uh, this is utterly fake, and it doesn't look like it at all. And I was trying to, you know, talking with, you know, my parents about, uh, uh, what, what, you know, that's sort of almost funny, but, but what could, what danger could you do with say accusing president Trump or the democratic candidate or someone else, you know, ruining someone's life, uh, uh, especially a more private citizen by doing something like this and accusing them of something that they never did. But, you know, people often say, well, video evidence shows it now we can't even trust the video evidence and that, and, and in a place where the people rule again, that is a very dangerous thing when we can't even perceive what a common reality to debate about. See, this is the point at which um, it feels very upside down. It feels to me like we have gone down the rabbit hole and, you know, Lewis Carroll was, was prescient, not just a good writer in Alice in Wonderland, but um, where reality is not as it appears. And I think that for Christians, you know, we have to keep saying truth matters. The truth matters. Discerning the truth matters. Speaking the truth matters. And truth is that which aligns with reality. Yep. And one thing I would say is that, you know, often we say either the truth, some people tend to claim either the truth is simple and simply found or it's non-existent and we live in a relativistic universe. And I would say, no, uh, the, the, the truth, sometimes you have to fight for it. Sometimes you have to fight to find it. Uh, and that uh, Christians of all should be saying that's in a sinful world that's so distorted by our own fallenness, uh, we need to uphold the fact that God has created truth and that there is truth, but also say that given our sinfulness, sometimes we're going to have to fight for it and look for it and question our own assumptions and, and really treat it as important enough to fight for. Um, that's a great place for you and I uh, to leave it today. Let's be people who seek the truth, look for the truth, do not make assumptions about what we're seeing. And actually um, pause long enough. Like, I think this is the challenge, Adam. We're, we're in this instant response culture, this instant opinion, instant response culture. And so maybe one of the things you and I could encourage people to do today is like take a deep breath, take a deep breath and actually ask yourself, is this a truth that aligns with what I know about who God is and how um, what he has revealed about his character and his will and his redemptive plan for human history? Um, because I want to be a purveyor of those things. Yes, respect the image of God and others as well, and don't Amen. be immediately assuming that they're the worst they could be. And I think that's a respect for what God has created as well. Amen. All right. Thanks. Uh, thanks so much, Adam. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.